0: you're listening to the paul higgins show the place for ambitious tech consultants scaling to live better after 18 years as a global leader and having a successful tech consulting exit i'm sharing what's working now to transform emerging tech consultants worldwide into trusted consultants that attract the best clients and deliver measurable results when you're ready to level up your clarity results and freedom Begin with the free Strategic Profits Blueprint available at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint. Jana, great to have you here.
1: It's amazing to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, well, look, we had a first, well, our first conversations was fantastic. I really loved yeah. your experience, your enthusiasm yeah. and what you're doing. So we're going to sort of dive into that more obviously over the next 20 minutes or so, but why don't we kick off with who your ideal clients are and what are some of the problems that you're helping them solve?
1: Yeah, we love, my company's called Spyglass Ops and we specialize in working with digital startup owners, digital entrepreneurs, generally around the seven figure run rate and above. And they are trying to scale their companies, scale their teams. And we essentially help those CEO entrepreneurs effectively and like, achieve those financial targets that they've set for themselves and for the business while also scaling themselves out of the day-to-day weeds of that company. We, I believe that we should be able to achieve both financial success and personal success, whether that be freedom or impact or lifestyle. And so we help our CEOs accomplish both.
0: Right now. And when you say, you know, digital, Mm -hmm. digital businesses, what's Online online based.
1: Yeah. So if you, yeah, if your product or service runs off of an online tech stack, Generally, a lot of our clients have remote teams. Those are the people we're able to work with best.
0: Yeah, Brandon, you know, you're listening and you're a tech consultant, you know, yep. so it's a very similar thing. So, you know, less digital, less agency of tech, but a lot of the things that Yana will talk about today will uh, apply to you because you're right. running a service-based business and- yep. As far as, you know, getting out of the weeds, we all want to do that. You know, I know when I ran my business, that was one of the hardest things, even though I had a business partner that did most of the op for him, I know it was even more challenging, but is there any certain personality types that find it easier or harder to get out of the weeds?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Yes. I would say less personality types so much as a set of mindset and beliefs The CEOs who believe I'm the only person who can do this thing in my business. No one can do this as better as me, as I can't trust my team to do this. I have to be the person to do this, right? I see a lot of CEOs start working with us with these mindsets, with these beliefs. And we have to do a lot of work with them to help them reprogram those. Because frankly, as long as you believe that, there is no getting free of your business. Because if you have to be the person to show up and do it, well, then I'm sorry, you have to be the person, right? No one can tell you otherwise. The CEOs who successfully scale out of the day-to-day weeds are those that are able to evolve those beliefs towards, you know, my job as an entrepreneur is not to do the thing, but to build a team that is capable of doing a thing, right? My job is to build the right environment where my team can be as successful as possible. My job is to set a direction for my team to run in. When these are the beliefs that you have, it becomes very easy. Actually, it becomes very frictionless to start delegating because every single person you bring onto your team, you're bringing them in under those expectations and then they get to show up and deliver on those expectations for you.
0: Yeah, look, I I know when I work with owners that are facing similar challenges, I often try to shine the light on what they should be doing rather Mm. than what they shouldn't be doing. Let's look at the strategy, looks at the pricing, the offers. Let's look at the things that only you can do as the owner. So they're by default You let go of the others, you know. If you have an experience like I know you're coming into helping with the operations, but you know, what's your perspective on you know, shifting their spotlight somewhere else to where they should be versus where they maybe are at the moment?
1: Yeah, definitely. I like to ask my clients the question, What percentage of your day are you spending being the CEO of your business? Yeah. And they'll start by saying, You know, what are you talking about? 100% of the time, I'm the CEO of my business. But then as we actually dig deeper into that question and we look at all of the things that they do every day that have nothing to do with being CEO, right? Like they're talking to clients. Cool, that's an account manager. They're closing deals. Cool, that's a sales closer. They are managing a team. Cool, that's a team lead, right? We actually get down to, cool, you're spending about 10% of your day being the CEO of your company. And where you should be putting your focus is learning how to grow from 10% to 80% and learning what to put into that time so that you can serve your company as its CEO and you can let your team wear every other hat.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and look, some of these beliefs are so embedded. They right. Are. So I'm sure you have a lot of challenges. What are some of the techniques that you use to help people make this mind mind shift?
1: I think it has to start at the intellectual level. And the biggest way we're able to do that is help them quantify their time. Mm. I can tell you, so for example. I was just working with a client who is doing all of his own client invoicing. And he's like, Jonna, it's not that big of a deal. It takes two hours a week. The clients pay me. I think it's important. Cool. That's his belief that that is where he should be spending his time. Then we went over to my little time ROI calculator. I plugged in how much it was costing his business for him to spend two hours a week across 52 working weeks every single year. And when you get 100 plus hours out of that calculation, well, Mr. Client, what could you do if I could wave a magic wand and give you 100 more hours to work on your business? How much more revenue would you create? That's the cost of you continuing to send out these invoices. So the first mechanism is by helping CEOs understand that their time is valuable and for them to actually start quantifying their time. Because if we don't quantify it, then what are we left with? We're left with, you know, I don't want to do this thing. It's annoying. It's frustrating. It's a waste of my time, but whatever. It's faster and easier for me to just do it. Yes. CEOs with that mindset will continue to show up and do the thing. If instead we can reposition it as, I don't care that it's frustrating. I don't care that it's annoying. It's expensive and it's costing your business this much money. All of a sudden we are way more willing to change that behavior.
0: Yeah. And do they have to have a clear... You know, like sometimes people have a, you know, burning ambition to where they want to get to. Sometimes there's a burning platform, i.e., like, you know, something's not, you know, financially in trouble, et cetera. Like people that come to you, you know, is it a combination of both? Is it one or the other? What well, what's that sort of burning desire for them to make that change?
1: The very first question that we'll ask with any client is what do you want? Right. What do you want for your business in terms of financial and revenue growth? But also what do you want for yourself and why is that important to you? Do you want more time with your family do you want more freedom to travel do you want to be able to donate more to your church right like what is important to you and isn't that the real reason that we're then going to scale this business vehicle and we are beholden to doing that because until we scale towards those goals we're not able to accomplish these other things in our lives i would say paul it is different for every single person right every everybody's individual goals and definition of success is and should be different but our approach is that whatever your definition of success is, there is a unique combination of systems and team that will get you there. And our job is to help you map that out and then deliver that into your business.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Sort of talked about you who's listening because you probably are the owner. And if you're not yeah. send it to the owners that they can uh, <laughs> listen to John say this, but it's, <laughs> it's about them. It's about aligning their ambitions to what they want to achieve in the business, going through yeah. their mindset, et cetera. So that's the them bit. Then what comes next? What- Once they're convinced, then what's the next step?
1: Then I get to give them the best piece of news they've ever heard, which is beautiful. You have these goals, you see all of these gaps and all of these things standing in your way of hitting those goals. Those are not your job. Our next step is to identify the second in command operator who either already exists within that team or does not identify who that person is, and then fill that gap. If you have that right fit operator on the team then obviously they need some coaching or training. Otherwise you wouldn't have all these gaps. We can offer that to you. If you don't have that person, we can find them and bring them in with you and for you, right? I love the work that we get to do because we get to deliver on a dream. We get to deliver a business transformation to our clients, but we do that with 60 minutes or less of their time every single month, because all of the work is being done through the second in command operator, who let's be honest, is the person who should be rebuilding the systems, who should be improving the structure of the team, who should be the the important role that is there to create the infrastructure that's going to help you hit your goals.
0: How many people already have that person in place versus have to hire?
1: Yeah, I would say it's probably 60-40. 60% of people already have that operator. They know, like, and trust this person or they want to elevate them into the operations role. We see that a lot where they have a trusted project manager, an executive assistant, an account manager. They see operational potential in that person. And that's beautiful. We can take that person, we can level them all the way up to COO status with enough time. That's probably 60%, 40% of the time, they either think they have that person and then we have to tell them that they don't or they know they don't have that person and we can go in and we can find that person for
0: them. Yeah, fantastic. And- I know that it's a bit like a piece of string, but on average in the US remote, how much Mm -hmm. is someone looking for a role? What's rough salary band for a role like that?
1: And this is really where we do custom case-by-case work with our clients because the reality is is that many of our clients think they need a 150K a year COO with 10 years of experience in their industry, right? When we get into their business, we get to tell them that actually a 60K a year ops manager is perfect for where you're at right now. And then that person can continue to evolve and grow to meet the needs of your business. But we can save you 70K on a salary that you don't have to pay anymore because actually the level of operator that you need is not what you thought you did. I can't give you a one size fits all answer, Paul, because it is a case by case solution.
0: And do many of the, you know, the 40% of the people that are currently in the role, how many of those do you still work with versus how many of those you work out that they're just not the right fit?
1: I would say the majority work. I am always an advocate for internally promoting if you can because in the operations role specifically what is most important is that you like and trust and respect that person. And you know that you like and trust and respect somebody that you've already worked with. Hiring in an outside person no matter how great, you know, the recruitment service you're working with, there's risk there. Maybe you hate them after 3 months. If you have the chance to internally promote, do so. The only challenge is, is, that most CEOs don't know what to look for in an operator. And so they'll try and promote the person who is just competent, the person who knows the most about the business, the person who is relatively organized, but none of those things make an exceptional operator and operators, a specific set of DNA. And so we have to get in there and look at that person and kind of do a little DNA scan to make sure that they actually have the raw potential and ability to be what the company needs them to be provided they get the right coaching and training that we can provide.
0: And what are some of those best, that DNA, what are the best attributes of an operator?
1: Yeah, I call it level three thinking. I've never met a world-class operator who does not see business and the world exactly the same way, which is as a puzzle. It's as a series of systems that fit together and they see how one thing over here affects something over here they can see how what looks like an hr problem is actually a leadership problem and how that's going to blow up in our face six months from now they can't help but see systems and patterns and how they link together and they can't help but want to make those things more efficient operators are intrinsically motivated by making things better more efficient removing waste and removing gaps it is deeply fulfilling to us so we look for that In any operator, if they have that lens, then with the right coaching and training, we can get them pretty damn good. Flip side, if they have five years of experience in operations, but they don't have that lens, I'm not going to waste my client's money on them because I don't believe they'll they'll ever be exception.
0: You said 60 minutes with the owner once a month. Is that right? So how much time are you spending with that operator?
1: The way we work with our clients is by plugging the operator into our coaching program for operators. And that operator is getting like weekly one-on-one time with in a small group setting with me, they have a dedicated mentor, they have a community, they have a coaching curriculum, like video bootcamp curriculum. So they've got everything they need to rapidly, rapidly level up. And then on a week over week basis, be executing what they're learning back into the business.
0: Brilliant. The the topic. So how does it work if someone's got a, you know, a topic about their owner, for example, which is you know personal versus something that is more specific to the operations of the business? How are those sort of topics covered and, and how's that treated?
1: Yeah, I mean, most of the live coaching calls that I do with my operators every week are on some of the more nuanced personal side. Okay. Obviously, we keep everything confidential. We pour into those operators and give them what they need to be successful. But many of these people have never managed up before. And that's a new skill set they need to learn. They've never set boundaries before. They've never communicated as an executive before. These are skills, these are soft skills that we work with our operators on. And just like CEOs, there is a host of mindset and limiting beliefs. That operators tend to have that need to be reprogrammed in order for them to be as effective as possible. The tactical stuff, like how do I build out this data dashboard? How do I correct this SOP? We've got the video curriculum, we've got the community, we've got the mentorship. They're plenty supported on that side. But I love diving into the soft skills, the internal stuff with my operators.
0: Right. And what are some of those soft skills? What what are some of the things you're working on?
1: Yeah, the biggest one I see is boundary setting because by nature, operators are very service oriented people. They wanna serve the team, they wanna serve the CEO, they wanna say yes to everyone. But what happens is that because they are that super competent, get shit done person who's never says no, everybody starts to defer to them and throw a bunch of stuff their way that is not actually operations and is not actually their job to do. I have to work with my operators to help them set boundaries around their role and help themselves understand this is my job, this is not my job. And here is how I can respectfully set that boundary so that I can pre- like protect and preserve my own time so that I can show up and be the operator and do the operational work that this company needs. I can't do that if I'm running around helping our account managers, helping our salespeople, helping our CEO, taking notes on every meeting, doing all of the things that are not operations.
0: Yeah, great. So I think that's brilliant. No, setting those boundaries. What's another one?
1: So boundaries and all of the, the self-worth and the identity and the communication skills that come with that, that's a huge one. I would also say I have to work with my members a lot around perfectionism and speed. Okay. Operators want to do everything perfectly and they don't want to act unless they know they have the right answer. And again, we work exclusively with startups. CEOs prioritize speed. Startups need to exist in a speed like a fast and agile environment, and so we work with our operators to create ops infrastructure that is agile, is fast, can pivot quickly, can adapt quickly. And we work with our operators to help them become okay with the good enough outcome, as opposed to the perfect outcome that they wish they could build, but would actually be wasteful because five days later, well, that SOP has changed, and now we have to rebuild the whole thing.
0: Great. And are you doing any personality profiling of the the owner or the operator?
1: You know, I have explored a lot of these personality tests. I haven't found one that does a better job of gauging an operator visionary fit than just what we're able to do, like determine internally. Cause we've seen so many of these relationships and we study these relationships so deeply. So I just rely on, on our team's kind of internal test, if that makes sense.
0: Right. And I think you do an audit before you, you work with a client. Yeah. So yeah. what are some of the key elements that that you you're looking for in that audit?
1: So this whole discovery process takes place within that audit. We call it the ops inspection. It takes us a week and my personally trained team of operators comes into the business and they look at absolutely everything. We are interviewing team. We are doing a culture survey. We're shadowing meetings. We're interviewing leadership. We're looking at systems and at Slack. We're looking at absolutely everything. And the result of all of that analysis is a 12 month roadmap where we are directly mapping our clients to their goals. You tell me, Paul, that you want to double your business in the next 12 months. Okay, beautiful. Here's the systems and the teams specifically broken down order by order, step by step that you're going to need to evolve and implement in order to successfully get to that 2X target. So we start with that roadmap. That roadmap also includes the operator analysis where we're able to tell them whether or not they've got the right person in the role. And then we're able to go and kind of custom build a plan from there. If you have that person, they need coaching on XYZ things and we can plug them in. If you don't have that person, we got to start with a recruitment and then we can coach them and support them in.
0: Yeah. And is the advent of, you know, we had this discussion before we went to the call, should we, you know, take out your recorder or not? And you know, I've got mine, I use fathom. Is the recording of videos and you know, obviously a lot more on video now. Does that help you do the audit? Does it help you yeah. get yeah. to the the truth quicker than what it, what it may may have in the it past? Has.
1: Yeah. We, we send our AI in to shadow the meetings. We don't do that live. AI does it. But then we process the analytics because we know what to look for. For example, oftentimes we'll say, okay, the CEO is talking 90% of this meeting. That's leading data that we can then cross-check against other data we're getting around the business and present some sort of report of findings around the leadership style of that CEO or the performance of the team, whatever it may be.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. And is there any perfect... Introduction to AI. So, you know, what changes and impacts are you seeing with with AI in uh, yeah. how a COO or an operator helps run a business for a CEO?
1: Yeah, definitely. This is a huge topic within our student community. I have another community that is community only, no coaching, but that's with my business partner Cameron Harold. And AI is always top of the charts every single day because the reality is, is that when we first brought this this post into the community there was something like 2000 ai tools on this one platform 3 months later there were 11000 tools right the the rate at which ai is exponentially compounding and growing makes it literally impossible for any one person to have their hands wrapped around this yes. and so what we advocate our operators to do is to leverage networks and leverage communities we create communities for them to learn what other operators are doing and how they're utilizing ai we also recommend that they use their teams, right? It's It shouldn't just be the CEO's job or just be the COO's job to be looking at AI and how it's going to impact the company. The companies that are going to learn and grow the fastest are those where every single member of the team is experimenting with AI, is incorporating it into their role, and then reporting back, here's what I've learned and here's what worked.
0: Great. And what are some really good examples at the moment through that all that research? The 9,000, if you can give us the needle in the haystack, what are some that that you're using on a regular basis with your t- your clients and the operating teams?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the business model, right? This is where a tech consultant will have a totally different use case for AI than a creative content agency. But I would say that the best at, at a high level pattern, the most effective companies have figured out a way of incorporating AI into their core product delivery. The thing that they do every single day, they have found a way to incorporate AI into that so that every single day they are faster, they are more effective, their team is more productive. And it's everything from you know some key component of our product has now fully been taken over bit by AI. I would also say from an operations perspective, the most effective companies I believe that are going to come out of this kind of AI revolution are those that have figured out how to systemize the human authenticity and the human touch. Yes. I know, cli- or I wouldn't say clients, but entrepreneurs in my network who are staunch believers in AI, and they have fired their entire team. And it is just an AI run business at this point. And my personal belief around that is that internet is going to be flooded with AI garbage that all looks the same because it's generated by the same yes. five tools. Yes. And the best CEOs are pivoting the energy and focus of their team away from clicking the buttons because AI can do that yes. towards incorporating differentiation, incorporating authenticity, incorporating brand voice, Being more human, being more creative, I think that's where the the role of team is really evolving, supported and backed by AI tools.
0: Yeah, totally. And and look, if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, Paul Higgins Mentoring, you'll realize that I'm old. Uh, Let's let's call it. You know, I'm not wise. I'm just old. But I'm I'm in my fifties, and I, I still remember when we were doing, you know, work on you know bits of paper versus moving to Excel. You know, I can still remember when we were using fax machines before we went to to email. And, and all it really did was just sped up things. It didn't really replace it. So I know there was a, a post that I did the other day about, you know, is it going to be your second brain or is it just going to be another pair of hands? And, and mm-hmm. I think at the moment, like you said, to make it completely your second brain, I think is probably running the cart before the horse. But I think using it as a second pair of hands and just making your team more efficient, you know, just take out like roughly what 50% of most people's jobs, no matter where you are in the business you know, is doing stuff that's not always the best use of time. So how do you use yeah. AI to get rid of that? So I think that that makes sense. And as far as like building in the routines, is it like lunch and learns? Like, mm. well, what are some ways to help embed those learnings within a business on how to use AI better?
1: Yeah, I think the, the best thing that we can do as leadership is help remove some of the fear around AI because- If I work for you and I'm worried, like I just figured out a way to make myself twice as productive with AI, but I'm worried that by bringing that back and reporting that to you, you're going to fire half of my friends. Yes. Probably not going to tell you, right? I think as a leadership, our job is to create a culture where it is people know that they are safe to bring these innovations forward. They are motivated to do so. They are applauded for doing so because they are leading the charge and then other people are excited and they get on board with that as well. So I think the peer to peer, right? Like lunch and learns is a powerful thing, but instead of bringing in some outside consultant, elevate somebody from the team and something that they learn to do with AI that week, right? When it is a peer to peer collaborative process as opposed to top down, You're going to remove a lot of the fear because if Larry in accounting has figured it out, then I can figure it out too. And that's actually a really great idea, Larry. And maybe we should offline and get some coffee after this. And you're actually starting to create a collaborative culture around it, as opposed to keeping it hidden, keeping it silent or, or keeping it private. Like, I think we've all heard the stories of, especially in a remote working world where, you know, I figure out how to make my job twice as productive via AI. And then I just go out and get another full-time job and double my income, right? You as a leader, are opening yourself up to that risk when you hire remotely. Yes. And there are important cultural practices that you can put in place to combat against that.
0: Yeah. You said you work with most clients over a 12-month period. Like, you know, there's no silver bullet here. It takes time to, to get this right. And, it, you know, it's a massive achievement once it's done. What are some of the key metrics that you look at at the end of the 12 months yeah. to evaluate the journey that a client's been through?
1: the the north star metric to me paul is were they able to achieve the goals that they set for themselves and again those goals are both financial and business goals as well as personal freedom personal lifestyle and personal impact goals and so we're looking at both of those with our clients month over month as we work with them our immediate goals are to get the ceo's time back again like get their time out of the low value the low leverage things that they shouldn't be doing and we try and earn our clients back 10 to 20 hours a week within the first six months by working through and with their operator. Now that the CEO's time has come back onto their plate, they can reallocate that towards marketing, towards sales, towards strategic partnerships, towards the things that will drive and grow the business. And so month six to 12 is where we really start to see all of that ROI come back into the PL, increased growth, increased sales, increased profitability. And so we're obviously looking at those business health metrics. We look at revenue, profit, Revenue per head, which is a team productivity metric. We want to make sure that the team is getting more effective over time, but ultimately we're looking at, did we hit the goals that this business owner set for themselves 12 months ago? And are they living the life that they wanted to be living when they hit those goals?
0: Yeah. Great. And. After the 12 months, what happens then?
1: Our clients always have the option to work with us. Some of our clients call it like kind of a safety blanket. Like they just like having us there. But the reality is, is like your business is always evolving and growing, right? 12 months is, six to 12 months is how long it takes to get a scalable foundation in place company-wide, right? Cool, now you've got a scalable foundation. Scale, right? And as you scale, you're going to need new systems. You're going to need new team. You're going to need middle management. You're going to encounter a host of new challenges. That your operator needs to level up to handle and evolve into. And we can help with that process as well.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Well, uh, just a reminder you're listening to Jana Lee on episode 520 of the Paul Higgins Show. And what we're gonna do now, Jana, is go into a rapid fire. So I'm gonna ask you four questions okay. and get Love your it. rapid responses. You ready for that? I'm ready. Let's do it. So the first one is what are some of the daily habits to help you scale your own business?
1: Daily habits. Tight communication with my team in live meetings so that during the rest of the day, Slack is largely silent. That's huge for me. Utilizing an executive assistant to manage my low leverage tasks and get those off of my plate. That's absolutely huge. And then I would say doing regular time audits. That's not daily. I do that monthly or quarterly to make sure that I am using my time as effectively as possible always and that my team is doing the same.
0: Right. And what are you using to track your time?
1: The tool I use is Timular. Mm -hmm. T-I-M-E-U-L-A-R. Right.
0: Brilliant. And the next one is where do you go to find more information for you? So that 20% of time you're spending on growing your business out of the ops, where are you going to find a a new way to to scale? Like
1: where am I learning and leveling up? Yeah. 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 No, great question. I work with a personal coach to do Mm -hmm. all of the my mindset, my limiting beliefs, the things that I need to evolve and work on as a human. And then I utilize masterminds and books generally for mentorship, for new best practices, and to generally connect with other people that are doing exceptional work and figuring out how we can partner and do something exceptional together.
0: Great. And if we could grant you one wish for Spyglass Ops, what would that be?
1: Ah, oh, a pool of ready to buy perfect fit clients that we can absolutely transform their business in the next 12 months.
0: Fantastic. So if you're one of those, obviously you're going to reach out or the links will be in the show notes. And the last thing is, what do you know now about, you know, scaling businesses, Mm. operations that you wish you had known earlier?
1: I wish I had known how possible it is to scale both a successful business and a lifestyle business simultaneously if you are absolutely relentless with your time. I wish I had known that. I wish I could communicate that to clients more and better. But the things that I have seen people pull off with five hours a week, 10 hours a week is absolutely exceptional, but they have built their entire business around optimizing towards that and making that possible. And If more people knew that was possible and more people were willing to commit to that as their North Star, I think we would have a lot more successful and impactful businesses and way more happy and fulfilled CEOs.
0: Yeah, well, if you've been listening to Jana and and nodding your head at some of the things that she's been talking about and you think, you know, this is the year, I've got to really step up. It was my role as the founder, the owner, the CEO of the business and actually get my team to share more of the responsibility because they've got the capability. It's just often we're the biggest block to our business growing. So if you want to find out more, go to spyglassops.com and also you can find on Facebook and. Instagram, some uh, great videos. I think you do a weekly video.
1: Yeah, I do. So if you guys follow me, the Lee on Facebook and Instagram, I do weekly live trainings. I drop value-add content in there every single day. My goal again is to really just support and serve entrepreneurs. And that starts by educating them on the power of operations.
0: Brilliant. Well, if you, if you haven't got time to go into the notes on the app, And check it. Jana is J H A N A, and Lee is L I. But we'll have all the links in the show notes. If you do have the time, and Jana, thanks for coming on today, sharing uh, your wisdom out of helping owners who you're probably an owner listening now. Just you know, have that great balance, right? Of of having a fantastic business, but also achieving all the things they want in their personal lives. So thanks for coming on and uh, talking about that today.
1: Thank you so much, Paul. It was awesome.
0: time for action subscribe comment and let me know what you like best about this episode plus get the strategic profits blueprint at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint